Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. It's been a few weeks since I've been on here. I've been traveling, been doing a few different things, and uh, now I'm back as, as a bit of a recap. Recently, I was down in the Canadian Powerlifting Union National Championships. This championship is held every year, and it's been a few years since we've held one. If you've been a listener to this podcast for some time now, you have come to the conclusion that I am very much involved with the sport of powerlifting as an athlete, as an official, as a coach, as a meet director. I'm very much inside the sport as in as many avenues as I can be. And it was just, just beautiful being able to go back to the national championships and see everyone, uh, help coach everyone, help um, doing some refereeing, just spending a full week. So I was down in Newfoundland and, and that's where the competition was held. Beautiful venue, beautiful setup, dual platform. I had 17 athletes uh, coaching all week long. It was a very busy week. A good week though, but a very busy week. And I'm just going to go over on this episode here, kind of how the nationals went for me and my perspective, from my point of view, as well as some of the athletes did. And then just a little bit of education here for someone who might be listening. And maybe you don't really know that much about powerlifting. I'll get, kind of get you up to speed pretty quick. It's a sport of exercising in front of people. That's really all it is. You do three exercises, barbell back squat, barbell bench press, barbell deadlift. The rules aren't that tricky. You squat down, you stand up, you put a bar on your chest, pause, you push it up in the bench press and the deadlift, the weights on the ground, you pick it up, you put it back down. There's some intricacies that come with the sport though. <clears throat> it's not as simple as that. What happens in nationals that people think is you're always going to set these new PRs, you're going to set these new totals, you might set these new records. But the reality is for most people is they don't always have their best meet at nationals, depending on what kind of class you're in, how competitive it is, and what you're, what you're buying for. In Canada, at the national championship, you can win a position on the Canadian team for the world championships. This happens by winning your division. So all of a sudden, sometimes you have to play strategically to play things a bit differently because you want to win that spot, and then you can go to the world championships. Now, with COVID in the past two years, that's changed things a little bit. This year, our open division, which is the age of 23 to 39, or athletes in any other class who could win the open division can choose to go into that one and compete. But essentially, those athletes in the open world championships, which are taking place next week in June, have already been established before the nationals already started. So we had to cancel nationals the last two years, obviously, because of COVID. And this year was originally supposed to be held earlier in uh, the spring or late winter. And that, that date got changed. It was supposed to be, I believe, the uh, last week of February, first week of March. And that got pushed back to May in Newfoundland because of the COVID situation. So this put a huge uh, uh, monkey wrench in how are you going to decide who is going to represent your country at the World Championships? So what had happened was, it was noted on by the executive of the Canadian Powerlifting Union, and they decided that the athletes with the, you know, the best totals from the last championship get priority to go to the world championships. 
So those, those athletes who decided to go said, yay, I'm in, no, I'm out. And they didn't have to go to this Canadian championships because they were prepping for their worlds. Many athletes chose not to show up because they were going to just go to worlds a couple of weeks later. Some athletes still did show up and to get a workout in. You know, Jessica Buettner was there. Um, King Eric Willis was there. Maria Hatti was there. Some of the well-known open lifters. And you know, they came down. They didn't have to win their spot. Their spot was already set. But they came down just to get some exercising in front of people. Maria just drove down the road because that's where she's from in Newfoundland. Came down to lift and uh, put on a show for a lot of people breaking some records at the same point. But for the rest of people, they were competing for possibly the national title of that year. And if you were a master lifter or another category beyond the open, you'd be competing for the other world championships because it's been divided for 2022. So now there's a world championships held in Newfoundland by the same team in the fall for all the master lifters. So I was very much involved with coaching a lot of master lifters, fighting for those, those positions on the world's team. And my, my day started off early. It started off quite, quite early. The event went from Monday to Saturday was the last uh, lift. I was there Monday to Friday. And I showed up on a Sunday and I had the, the best flight ever, the best flight ever. And if you fly with me, it's, it, it, it's hit one, miss one. That's how it always is. I have a good flight, then I have a bad flight. I flew down in Florida earlier in the year for a fitness conference and I was delayed on the tarmac for I don't know three hours and 20 minutes or something ridiculous and I think the flight was three hours and 30 minutes apparently there was problem after problem after problem there was customs issues they had to get apart it got stuck through customs I don't understand how this works and it was just a very delayed uh, day but this time flying from Ottawa to Montreal to Newfoundland much faster I purchased a park and fly ticket so I could just drive to the area, park my vehicle, get on a bus, takes me right over to the airport. I'm good to go. Now I've used a system multiple times before, never hundred uh, percent foolproof. Sometimes there's been scenarios where, you know, my barcode doesn't scan properly. And then you're, you're, you're there at four 30 in the morning. There's no one really around or you park your vehicle. Then you wait a half hour for a bus to come and find you. And that didn't happen this time. I, I got there early enough. Barcode worked parked my vehicle. As soon as I parked my vehicle, there's a bus behind me with a light on, ready to go. Hopped on. We didn't pick anyone else up. They took me right to the airport. Took me right to the airport. I walked in. I already checked it online. So I go and I toss my bag and I just start walking to security. Now, some of my clients have mentioned things like using a Nexus Pass to speed up that process. And over the past few years, I have my own system that I've been testing. And so far, it's been working pretty good to get me to go to the head of the line. At an airport, what they'll do sometimes is if they identify a suspect, someone who might look to be non-trustworthy, they might randomly ask them for a search. When they do this, they also bump them to the front of the line. So I realized this many years ago. So what I tend to do now is when I'm in this line and there's people in front of me, I might awkwardly stare at the head security person from far away. And every time they look at me, I will suspiciously quickly turn away. This is foolproof. This always works. Next thing you know it, they point, they call me up, they butt me ahead of everyone, they scan the wrist, they scan the belt buckle, they put me through to front of the line. And of course that worked again, front of the line. Then I go through the scanner, I didn't even take off my, my Apple Watch. I thought that might set things off. 
didn't send anything off. I go right through, grab my bag on the other side. My gate is right there, the first gate. Start to finish, 18 minutes. From walking into the airport to getting to my gate, 18 minutes. Get to Montreal. As soon as I get off the plane to Montreal, the gate beside me is where I need to go. I got 10 minutes. I hop on. They board it a little quicker than usual. We're on the plane. While we're flying, it says, hey, do you want to connect to the internet? I say, yeah, sure, I'll connect to the internet. I'll do a little bit of work when I'm on the plane. Then it says, you want to use your aeroplan points? I'm like, I don't even have aeroplan points, but sure, I'll hit OK. Why not? Then it asked me to put my fingerprint somewhere. Then all of a sudden, it used these aeroplan points. I got free Wi-Fi. Then the, the captain came on, and he's like, hey, we're cruising at this speed. We're going pretty well. We're actually going to arrive 15 minutes early. I didn't know planes could arrive 15 minutes early. And now that I know that, why don't they always just arrive 15 minutes early? They can go faster. I wish that would be the standard moving forward. So I arrived in Newfoundland quite quick, faster than I was supposed to, and I was off. Once I got in, checked into my hotel, and I went down to the venue to check it out. During this entire time of before I even got on the plane, um, even when I was on the plane, as soon as I got off the plane, I was messaging clients um, back and forth over and over again. Everyone's asking the same questions. Where's the venue? Okay, am I on the platform A or platform B? There's multiple platforms. Wayne, are you sure it's at this time? How do I do this? And a lot of uh, the athletes I was working with were cutting weight at that point. Some of them have done it many times before and were still a little bit worried. And you can understand why. I mean, a lot of nervous energy when that happens. And also, if you don't make weight, you don't, you don't wrestle. You don't get to play. You don't get to compete. So imagine taking multiple days off work, investing in all your training, in your coaching, like your ticket, your hotel, and you get down to a place and all of a sudden you don't make weight and you're not allowed to do anything. That, that, that's not going to be good. And unfortunately, that happened for some people, nobody I was working with. So I was helping my athletes as we were going through the weight cut. And one of the questions that came up, and this would be beneficial for anyone here who cuts weight for sport, is the flight. Now, powerlifting in the International Powerlifting Federation, which is the, the organization I'm most affiliated with, we have a two-hour weigh-in rule. So when you're cutting weight, you're, you're dieting off that weight, you know, weeks in advance. It's hard to cut 18 pounds and then get it back in two hours and not have a deficit into your, your performance. So we got to diet as we go down, drop a few LBs that way, maybe do a little bit of a water cut here. We can manipulate your body weight to get a bit of water out. But ideally, in my experience, I don't like doing that with the majority of people I work with. I feel like they, they, get, they get more out of not doing that. Say so the juice ain't worth the squeeze. So talking to a lot of people and stuff, they're all worried about the flight. And they say, well, what about you know, gaining water? water retention when you're on the flight. And I said, well, water retention doesn't actually happen unless you drink water on the flight. So well, what do you mean? Every time I go on a flight, I always, I, I, I thought you gained water. I thought you gained weight. Well, not necessarily. First thing to understand when flying is when you weigh a certain amount of weight, when you get on a plane, if you do not ingest anything, it is not physically possible to gain any more weight. So if somebody weighs, say, 180 pounds, and they get on a plane, and they don't do anything for the duration of the flight, then they get off. They've not drank anything. They haven't eaten anything. They will still weigh 180 pounds. Now, they will feel different. People always feel different when flying because of cabin pressure. When you fly in a plane, once you get up around that 10, 20,000 feet in the air, the cabin pressure changes. It is less humid in there. It's much more dry because humidity is higher, closer to ground, and less higher away. 
But because of that, people tend to feel very dry. When the body gets into a dry, dehydrated state, it will not perspire or sweat as fast as it normally does. So people might tend to feel a little bit dry. Their mouth is a little bit dry. What do they tend to do when you're on, when you're on a plane? Okay, I feel really dry. I'm going to get some water. Okay, no problem. That, that's fine. Whatever amount you drink, the weight of it is literally going to be the weight increase on your body until you metabolize it or urinate it out. But what do people tend to do when they're on planes? They don't, they don't just get a glass of water. They might get that delicious tomato juice, which does taste different at higher altitudes. They might get a alcoholic beverage. They might get one of those sandwiches. They might get something full of preservatives. And then those things can really change. Another thing that happens to people, they say they get lower limb swelling when they're on planes. That can happen usually from inactivity. But the reality is, is the duration of the flight would have a larger impact than the flight itself. And, and for most people, you're not going to notice any difference in your body unless you're flying four plus hours. That's what the research shows, four plus hours for seeing things like swelling. Now, your current level of fitness and health would determine that too. So if you are obese or morbidly obese, what do you have for breakfast on that day is going to affect how you feel when you get on the plane too. So if you don't eat very well, and then you get on a plane, you sit for four hours, you might be getting some swelling in your lower limbs. For the majority of people who don't fall in that category of obese or morbidly obese, that's not going to happen to you. You might just get uncomfortable sitting for four hours, but you will not increase any of your weight. So what I coached and told everyone to do is when you travel, bring your own water. And if you're cutting water, you're not drinking any water anyway. So you shouldn't see any changes from the flight. And Bring your own food if you have to eat food, if there's a way to get it on. And you can use things like beef jerky is a very simple one to bring on planes with you. If you need to eat something, you can totally do that. But don't buy, don't waste your money. First off, you're paying, you know, fivefold for a sandwich or a ham sandwich for 15 bucks. Probably American if they can somehow swing that deal. So don't do that. Bring your own food. Be responsible for what goes in your mouth. The other thing I always told the athletes to do was when cutting weight, like you need to know where your weight is at all times and have a an average amount. So the first thing I would always tell everyone to do is a couple of weeks out is weigh themselves every morning and every night. What you can do then is you can calculate the average mean of what you metabolize in your sleep. So everybody will lose a little bit of weight when they go to bed at night. And that's just because the processes are continuing to happen while you sleep. So if you weigh 180 pounds at night and you weigh, get up in the morning, you might weigh 178 pounds. That's Let's say the next day you weigh 179 pounds, next day you weigh 177 pounds, next day you weigh 178 pounds, your average is about one and a half, two pounds. But if you record it and you write it down, you can then ballpark what would happen one or two nights out of your competition. Say, okay, on a bad night, I lose half a pound of weight. On an average night, I lose one and a half pounds of weight. On a good night, I lose two pounds of weight. So knowing that if you are half a pound overweight, and you have all this data from the last two weeks, you're probably going to be fine. You're probably going to metabolize at least half a pound in your sleep the night before you weigh in. You have to track that data to know that data. Now, when it comes to the scales that you use, it doesn't matter what scale you use to get that specific data. You will know that whatever your scale says, if you've got a Walmart scale, and you've been using the same one, and it's tracking, and you're getting the same numbers, then you know that that's the, the average you're going to lose in your sleep. doesn't matter the scale you use. What I always tell people to do is don't move your scale either. So you can take these digital scales, you can put them on a flat surface, you can move them in your bathroom, to another spot of the room, you can put them on tiles. And once you start moving them around, the readings are slightly different. So if I want to know 
black and white data, I keep it the exact same place all the time. So let's say you're using um, a Walmart brand name scale at home and you live in Saskatchewan and you've ballparked for the last two weeks, what do you metabolize in your sleep at night? And you have that number. And let's say you are a hundred and we'll say 185 pounds and you need to get to 182.5 pounds for your competition. And you're cutting weight, cutting weight, cutting weight and you're 183.5 on your scale. Well, bring your scale to the championship event with you. Bring your scale to the event, check in your hotel, hop on the scale as soon as you get in. Now you've got a number of where you currently are. Let's say that number on the scale says 183 pounds. You need to be 182.5. Let's say it says 183. Then once you're at the venue, you've checked in your hotel, the next thing you do is find the competition scale. Once you find the competition scale that's set up, hop on it, get the reading there because that's the scale that actually matters the most. Hop on that scale, get your number, and then compare it to your Walmart scale. So let's say your Walmart scale says 183, you need to be 182.5 pounds, and you hop on the competition scale. The competition scale says you are 182 pounds. You know that your scale is one pound different than the competition scale. You can now keep that data for further competitions. Say my scale is always gonna weigh me in about one pound over the competition scale. Let's say you gotta be 182.5 and you're on your scale, it says 183 and you go on the competition scale and it says 184. So now you know the competition, your scale, sorry, is one pound below the competition scale. So if you weigh 183 on your scale, it's 184 on the competition scale, and you gotta be 182.5, then you know you need to cut 1.5 pounds for your competition. So that means your scale would then have to say 181.5. Stay with me here. This is not crazy arithmetic, but you have to have something to monitor your data track your data, and then use that moving forward. Okay, so now you know the difference between the competition scale and your scale. This is what I was telling the athletes to do all the time. When it comes down to what to do next, if you're 12 hours out of your weigh-in time or even 15 hours out, it all comes down to the weight of the food you're going to eat, the weight of the food. So if I had, if someone's been going on a a high protein, low carbohydrate diet to lose their weight and that was working for them, and then all of a sudden they're 12 hours out of their meat, and then all of a sudden they have the option to have a, maybe a big T-bone steak or, or they could have a Pop-Tart. Hmm. But what do you think is going to taste better? Probably the Pop-Tart. Wouldn't you like to have Pop-Tart? hundred percent. Can't have a Pop-Tart though. You're dieting. Wait a minute. What's going to weigh less? An eight ounce steak or a Pop-Tart? A Pop-Tart is going to weigh less. So now it's going to come down to the weight of the food that you have. So the best thing to do is to take whatever you want to eat, put it in your hands and hop on your scale, your Walmart scale. So if your Walmart scale says 183 and you put whatever you want to eat in your hand, you hop on that scale and it says 184, you have one pound of food, of, of specific types of food. You can have one pound. You, you know the number. Let's say you grab that T-bone steak and it was two pounds. Now you want to make the right decision to eat what weighs less. Don't dive into eating what you should from a diet perspective. Now it comes down to the weight of the food when you're really close to a competition. And it's not a bad idea to have carbohydrates if you've been dieting on a low carbohydrate diet. And what I tell all the athletes in this scenario is the foods you choose at this point here, when it's the weight of the food, it also has to be the function of the food. So let me give you an example. 
if you've been monitoring your nutrition for the last you know eight weeks and you're and you're dropping down dropping down dropping down you've been eating one way and then all of a sudden you throw a curveball in there and you're like oh i'm gonna get some i'm gonna get some spicy tomatoes you know uh, some tomato sauce or something full with the spice in it and the spring sauce whatever it is but you haven't been eating that that could be a massive digestive stress on your body if that's a massive digestive stress on your body it might have a negative impact on cutting that last little bit of weight it might upset your stomach. It might upset your digestive system. So you don't want that. The foods that you want to have are going to be foods that you digest well. And outside of powerlifting, that's a really good lesson in nutrition anyway. Eat the foods your body likes. Eat the foods your body digests well. How do you know if you do this? Do you bloat? Do you have gas? You farting? We're not supposed to be bloated all the time. We're not supposed to be farting all the time. Painful bowel movements? broken bowel movements. So your poos, your poos are all broken up. It means you're not digesting it well. They should be solid, singular piece. Should be a dark brown texture, kind of like toothpaste. Don't put it on a toothbrush. Regular varies from person to person. Could be one time a day, could be two times a day. And just on that note of regular, be aware that you shouldn't, you shouldn't poop the same amount every day for your entire life, unless your food is the same amount every day for your entire life. Let me give you an example. If somebody on average eats 2,500 calories a day, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, I'm going to put on some size, I want to bulk up, and they start eating 3,500 calories a day. Well, they're going to have more frequent bowel movements. Contrast to 2,500 calories a day, and they say, now I'm going to be dieting, I'm going to have 2,000 calories a day, or I'm even as low as 1,500 calories a day. You won't have as many frequent BMs because you don't have as much to get rid of. Your body's going to utilize that food, especially in a deficit perspective, and you'll end up having less BMs. This question comes up all the time when I work with athletes. Can I wait? They always say, well, I'm not pooping. I'm constipated. I say, okay, well, is your stomach hard? Are you bloated? Do you have any pain? They say, no, no, no. So what makes you think you're constipated? Well, I didn't poop today. Okay. Well, you're at a deficit. So you don't, you don't need to poop today. Your body's just using the food that you put in, especially if it's quality food. So that's my little take on, on the weight cutting uh, perspective. Everyone that I worked with did very well. One athlete particularly started messaged me in February, right around uh, Valentine's Day and said, I'm really over my weight class. We really need to do some things here. So I put her on the animal-based diet approach that I've been preaching for uh, some time now. And I think our total number was around 20. It was around 20 pounds from, it was like 18 pounds from Valentine's Day. So February 14th, March April, May. So in about 10 weeks, in 10 weeks, about 18 pounds. And she was already petite. She competed at the 57 kilo class, 123. So not a large woman, um, but just really dialed in on the nutrition. It did quite well, made her weight, went out there, got a couple national records at the same point in time, won her division gold medal, and is now training for the world championships and has one of the best peaking names for powerlifting. Jody McPeak worked out very well. So Joy did very well. Other athletes I was working with, I had a couple of master athletes just destroy all these brand new records. There's new weight classes in the 69 class. Carol Brady came out there. She went nine for nine on her day. Everything she touched was pretty much a brand new record as an M3 lifter, just killed in the equipped division. Uh, a few other notable mentions in the open class, we had uh, Melissa coming from Saskatchewan and she was a, a heavy hitter in the 69 class. It was her first, um, sorry, her second nationals. And after having not the best meet at her first nationals. I think she only hit about five out of nine lifts, really grew as an athlete afterwards and came out there and, and went seven for nine 
Winter division took home a, a squat national record as well. I mean, for 69 kilo person to be squatting over 400 pounds, I mean, like that is, that is bonkers. That really is bonkers. And she's very happy about that. And I'm happy for her too. My girl, Jordanos came out there and, and just smoked, uh, smoked everything nine for nine on her day. She did a national record of 200.5 kilos, 446 pounds. We've been chasing that. Or sorry, she did 199.5. That's all she needed to break the record. And she's been chasing, you know, right around that number for some time now. And it was really nice to see her get it. As an athlete who just came off a meet, she did Worlds last year and APFs last year, and then transitioned into hypertrophy training to move up a weight class, did very well at that. And it was maybe, I think, eight weeks before nationals. I'm like, hey, we got to... We got squat bench dead and said, okay, go time. So very short prep, but still came away with PRs and squat bench deadlift, uh, national record in total. She did very well too. So my takeaway from the week was I was there Monday to Friday and I coached every single session except for two. One session that I did not coach, I was refereeing. So I was working that session. And then there was one break session in there that I was a tourist. And by a tourist, I mean, I went and I ate food. So my, my trip to Newfoundland and coming back to the 2022 Nationals was an absolute blast. I really enjoyed being there. I love seeing all the competition. This sport is absolutely exploding. It's been exploding for the last five years in front of my eyes. And I am still blown away by the quality of athletes that are coming up. And then the quality of athletes that have maintained where they are. And then have even gotten better in their, in their age as they, you know, gone from open to master level where they've gone from master one to master two. Then I've seen some absolutely freakishly big numbers. I mean, Ray Stin was out there benching 228 and a half kilos in a bench press. I mean, there's a reason why she's the world champion, the world record holder, and no one comes close to her. It was absolutely astonishing to see. And the beauty of, of, of myself when it comes to coaching is I, I do my best to, to make everybody set up for success. And that could be the little things that could be like, you know, encouragement, hey, you can do this, we've done it before. That could be coaching strategies by using fake numbers, which I use all the time for people. For some people, you motivate them with a negative reinforcement. You can't do this. No, you can't do it. Show me you can do that. I don't think you can do that, right? And then for some people, they may not have any competition in their class because they're so far ahead, or they're maybe they're on the other end and they're they're not so far ahead and they're below and they're they're in the bottom of the list. Well, you still want to motivate that person and make sure that they're there to do their absolute best. And I said this from a very beginning. I'm a coach before I'm a lifter and I actually started as a coach in the sport before lifter and I love everything about it. And I'm still learning as I go on uh, to get better at the sport, to get better at my coaching practice as is. And uh, I can't wait for the next nationals, the next upcoming year going to be in 2023 in BC and then 2024, we're going to Prince Edward Island. That's where my mom lives. And uh, we're going to see if hopefully cow's ice cream is going to be open so I can get some ice cream when I'm down there. So that past week, coaching at nationals, I think I lost five kilos myself doing it, but there was no, there's no shortage of good quality food in the area. There was no shortage of good quality conversations with friends. And I absolutely adored every minute that I was there, hoping I can make a return to the world master championships as a, as a coach. I got a series of athletes down there competing in the fall. I got a busy end of summer, early fall coming up. We'll be running the, uh, Central championships at the end of August as well. And those central championships can be held here in Ottawa. And I want to put on an absolute uh, bomb of a show for our Quebec and Ontario athletes. So stay tuned for all the registration dates on that. 
And yeah, that's the update of my Nationals 2022 experience as a coach. I think my final total numbers were 17 athletes. We had 14 podium finishes, 12 national champions, I think 14 national records, and a whole bunch of PRs. Just an absolute good time. So recap of 2022 Canadian Power Union Nationals as a coach uh, myself. So that's it. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.